I'm Aaron Gittleman from Localized.City, and this is the second half of my conversation with Corey Johnson, Speaker of the NYC City Council. The first episode covers Corey's first apartment. This podcast is named My First Apartment. But here's where the conversation gets extra interesting, talking about housing, technology, the future of NYC, and just a little bit of lip-syncing. Enjoy. Right now I'm looking um, at a listing on Localize. It's in the Kingsbridge Heights part of the Bronx. Near Riverdale. Near Riverdale, just down the hill. Um, And one of the things you mentioned is that the nearby PS307 is overcrowded. And we're kind of talking about what that means with large class sizes, reduced after-school programs, insufficient services, and how it affects the neighborhood. Um, In terms of how to deal with school overcrowding, are there any solutions that you guys have been looking at? Oh, I mean, that's such a long uh, answer to a really important question. And I'll try to be brief on it. As, one, as brief as you can, yeah, I have a bunch of questions. We, so. we, we have, uh, there's an overcrowding crisis in New York City. There's a lot of school districts and neighborhoods that don't have enough school seats. And so we need to actually build more schools. Uh, when you look at the parts of the city that are the most overcrowded, it is actually South Brooklyn, uh, sort of Bay Ridge uh, in that area out there, and uh, a part of Queens, so Jackson Heights, uh, Corona. Those are the two most overcrowded overcrowded parts of the city. We're going through a process as a council with the School Construction Authority, which is the government agency that cites schools and builds school across New York City. And the council has done a tremendous amount of work. If you go to the city council's website and you look at our reports, we have a bunch of reports on school overcrowding and some of the things that we're trying to do to combat it. Another thing that we've looked at and our team has researched a lot is the impact of, say, a new jail on living in that neighborhood. I know a lot of people are kind of working worried about new jails coming. I've also seen data that kind of um, says it doesn't really impact crime or housing prices, which is something that matters to people who are buying. What would you tell somebody who might be living by one of the new jails um, that are opening up to replace Rikers? Well, there are a lot of people already living by jails in downtown Brooklyn where we're going to build a, a new jail that has uh, better conditions of confinement for people that are incarcerated, which is why it's important that we did that. That jail's been there for decades. And that area is now one of the most expensive parts of Brooklyn, uh, bordering on uh, Cobble Hill and Borum Hill and downtown Brooklyn. And people who have lived by that uh, jail have never said that their property values have gone down. Their property values have gone up over the years next to a jail. So uh, the the facts are the facts. And uh, I'm really proud of what we did to close Rikers Island, which, as folks know, was a penal colony in the East River away from uh, the life of New Yorkers, where people didn't have to look at what the toll of mass incarceration meant in our city. And I think it's one of the most important things I'll have done in my eight years in the council and my four years as speaker, probably in my entire time of being an elected official, no matter what happens next in my career. But I'll say this, and I say this in a loving way towards New Yorkers, because I even feel this way myself sometimes. New Yorkers, in the tens of thousands of distinct blocks we have over the city, in hundreds of distinct neighbors we have, New Yorkers are deeply, deeply, deeply proprietary and parochial. They don't like change. 
So when you tell them you're putting it in a new jail, they don't want it. When, sometimes you tell them you're putting it in a bike lane, they don't want it. When you tell them you're, they're putting in whatever it is, they don't want it. Most New Yorkers like the way things are. And the, the great thing about New York, though, is we're a city that's constantly changing. The people are changing, the landscape is changing, and hopefully we're evolving to be a more livable city. And uh, that's what we have to keep doing. And one of the things that we've seen recently, I, I believe in your district, is the 14th Street Busway. Yes. I know at first, I think um, you were unsure you were listening to a lot of the advocates in the community who are unsure about mm -hmm. it. What's your take now and where the next busway is going to be? I think it's been a smashing success. As I said, I live on 15th Street between 7th and 8th Avenues and I was initially concerned because uh, it's a long story, but basically two and a half years ago there was a fire on West 17th Street between 7th and 8th Avenues which shut that block down for two months. And so when traffic was diverted the next place it could go west was 15th Street, my block. And for those two months, the block was like a parking lot. And so me, not being a traffic engineer, I thought if we do this on 14th Street, all the local blocks around there are going to be like parking lots. Well, I was wrong. Uh, you know, I, I never opposed the busway, but I was confused about what would actually happen. And there were a lot of advocates who had said there's a theory called induced demand, where like in Seattle, they tore down a highway that was carrying tens of thousands of people a day. And those cars didn't end up on the surrounding neighborhood side streets, uh, traffic finds other ways to get through when people know what the route is. So I think we need to look at other places across the city. 42nd Street would be, I think, a good place. 34th Street could be potentially a good place. Uh, but it's an exciting thing. And I think the success is much better than the city even contemplated. Uh, and there has been a minimal impact on the side streets, which is a great thing. What do you think transit in New York might look like in five years? Things like, because the busway wasn't, I mean, the busway came um, with the L shut down, but five years ago, I don't think that was on anyone's radar. Is there anything that like you're really like forward thinking, this is what we need to do? Well, the most important thing that we could do as a city is to improve mass transit. Seven million people take the subways and buses every single day. And in a lot of parts of the city, uh, you could, depending on who you are, walk more quickly than taking the bus because they're so slow. So congestion pricing is going to effect on January 1st of 2021, that's only going to affect below 60th Street. So you're probably going to have less cars in the central business district in Manhattan. But we need to actually invest in mass transit all over the city, especially in places in the city that are transit deserts, places where the subway doesn't reach to. Eastern Queens, the Northern Bronx, South Brooklyn. What do we do to actually increase uh, and complement service out there? That means more express bus service. That means more bus rapid transit. That means doing these host of things. But I think the most important thing is improving the subways, which carries the most number of people. In Andy Byford, we trust. He has done a great job over these last almost two years in improving the system, especially after the 2016 summer of hell, where the trains were derailing every week that summer in 2016. So that's what we need to do. The MTA just put $50 billion into a five year capital plan to look to improve this. But this, I don't know when this is going to air, but in the month that we're in January of 2020, we saw the scandal with the MTA's contractor Bombardier uh, having over uh, hundreds and hundreds of subway cars, which uh, were malfunctioning and not working. Oh God, the doors. The, the doors. Like, I, I read like an article. Like a nightmare. The door, yeah, the the door door open, I lean on the tunnel. doors. Yeah. That's how I read. Exactly. Um, 
So I guess um, let, let's kind of pivot. You're not supposed to, to lean on the doors. <laughs> Don't rat me out. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm going to narc you just like yeah. you're doing to me with Starlight. <laughs> so quickly talking about kind of um, the tech we've seen in New York and localized.city is just one of the many companies that's really taken advantage of the city's kind of open data. What do you envision the future of the, the tech industry in New York? Are we going to overtake San Francisco anytime soon? I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon, but I think one of the really important things for our long-term economy, because the economic expansion that we're living in right now, we've seen 780,000 private sector jobs created since the Great Recession in 2009. Unemployment is just above 4%. And uh, this economic expansion, which is the longest since coming out of the Great Depression, uh, it will not last forever. And we need to actually diversify our local economy. Uh, right now, we're heavily reliant on the financial sector. And when you have an economic turndown in a recession, uh, we get hit harder than other places because of how our economy is concentrated, which means that we need those type of tech jobs here in New York City. And we especially need the smaller uh, businesses. We need startups. We need entrepreneurs. We need people, since this is a, 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 a podcast about uh, real estate and housing and that type of stuff in New York City, we need folks that are going to take Class B and C office space. We need sort of not the folks that are moving into the Class A gigantic buildings. We need the folks that are getting a little bit of capital invested in them to come in and do that. So, uh, people say we could be Silicon Valley of the East. I think we could potentially do that, but you can't do that unless you do a lot of the other things we talked about. Yeah. You can't do that unless you invest in mass transit. You can't do that unless you improve the schools and families want to be here and businesses want to move here. You can't do that unless you keep crime low. You have to do all of these things to be a place that businesses and people want to continue to move to. We are this amazing, uh, wonderful laboratory and experiment known as New York City. 8.6 million people who live here. 37% of the 8.6 million people who live here were not born in the United States of America, but came here with dreams and aspirations of their for their family. That doesn't count the people like me who came from, from a small town uh, and not a native New Yorker. We're a city of immigrants and of people that come from other places, and we want all sorts of folks to come here and want to invest in New York City, and we can't take that for granted, uh, especially with an economy uh, that is sort of uh, very uh, hard to predict right now, unpredictable with a crazy, wacky, insane president who treats it, tweets anything he wants every single day. You know, it's hard to know what's going to happen with the economy. So we need to attract those type of jobs. And the way to do that is to invest in the things that I talked about. So the open data, is there any information that you feel like isn't quite available to New Yorkers that you wish was more accessible? Not off the top of my head, but I'll tell you that about a year ago when uh, our now Attorney General Tish James was uh, leaving the public advocate's office and became Attorney General, I became acting public advocate uh, for about two and a half months. So I was speaker and public advocate. And one of the things that we focused on in my very short stint as public advocate was some open data uh, stuff. 
stuff. So we we posted additional information about schools across New York City where you could click on the school on a map and figure out the number of seats, uh, uh, the, the, the number of folks locally that are going to the school, that type of information. We posted information about green markets across New York City, Grow NYC, where there are places across New York City where you can go find fresh fruits and vegetables, especially for neighborhoods that are underserved. And we were able to do that because during my time as speaker over the last two years, for the first time ever, we created a giant data team here at the city council where all they do is analyze data every single day and try to figure out how that data could be useful to New Yorkers and useful in how we make public policy decisions as a municipal legislature for New York City. So I believe the team's over a dozen people. They are incredibly talented and smart. And every single day, they're working on how you pull some of the open data that's already out there and how that could inform some of the decisions we make and what other data can we glean and make it usable through the open data source so that New Yorkers have access to it. Kind of sounds like what our team is doing at the localized right. offices. To end this, what do you think the future of housing might be in New York? You know, yeah, I, I, I wanted to end another, this on the easy. That's one. another podcast. I mean, we have a, that's a long time, but I would just say that construction costs are soaring in New York City, so it's a lot more expensive to build new housing. The rent laws were incredibly strengthened the last legislative session by the state legislature and governor. I supported uh, that. Do you support good cause eviction? I do support good cause eviction, which I believe the state of New Jersey has. Um, and uh, we need to build all types of housing. We need to build housing housing for seniors. We need to build housing for artists and actors and musicians. We need to build supportive housing for people who are currently homeless or who are living on the streets of New York City. We need to build low-income targeted housing. We need to improve public housing. There's a lot we have to do on housing. Uh, it's one of the most complicated questions for the future of New York City, and I think will probably be one of the biggest issues in the 2021, not just mayoral election, but in all the local city council races as well. So it'll be an issue you'll be hearing a lot about over the course of the next two years. All right. Well, thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I would just tell people to go to Grace Papaya. <laughs> Grace Papaya. Special. Great, go All to right. Grace. Grace? I take Grace. Grace is, you go to a show. I think I'm going to a show at the Beacon Theater this week. Um, I will very likely have Grace afterwards. What's the last concert you saw? Uh, <laughs> Fish New Year's Eve MSG. <laughs> what do you think the last concert I saw was? Fish? Share. Share uh -huh. <laughs> at MSG. Which when when did Share play MSG? Oh, it was like uh, four weeks ago. But last night I tweeted, if you go to my Twitter feed, last night I have a song I have a song stuck in my head which is we built this city by Starship. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been like listening to it on repeat. I'm a big music guy as well. Nice, nice. Have you ever been to a fish show at MSG? I have never been to a fish show. Uh, you know, the being around marijuana never, uh, uh, you know, synced well with me. All right. Um, well, not now, that I'm saying that no people worries. sneak marijuana. Well, no, no, a lot at, of it at, now at is um, uh, like the digital, the vape pens. The vape pens. So yes. the vape pens. Um. <laughs> this is a non THC marijuana. This is a jewel. Oh, I'm, I'm aware. What flavor? 
you know, it's mint, but we just banned them. So in July, on July 1st, there'll be no more flavors in New York City. So I have to quit before July 1st. Right. And by the way, the price has gone up to like $40 now for Well, a if you want the mint ones, if you the get mint, the Virginia yeah. tobacco, you can get, uh, I, I've read, for down to $20 for four well, packs. You pulled something out of your pocket and then you didn't show it to me. Oh, it's a jewel. It's a jewel. It's a jewel. Um, what flavor? It's a jewel. This is Virginia tobacco. Virginia tobacco. It, this obviously isn't mine if my mom is listening. Um, yes. <laughs> if you do want to go to a fish show, you have an open invite. I'll make sure you get a ticket. Um, they only play in Vermont? No, no, no. They're, they're, too <laughs> big to, they're too big to play Vermont. They, they're a New York staple. They're New Yorkers. How old are they? Um, they're about, I think, in their 50s now. Okay. Um, so they started in um, 1983 in Burlington. Um, there's this guy, Bernie Sanders, Bernie who was Sanders mayor. Was mayor. Yeah, yes, Bernard Sanders, Sanders was mayor, was mayor um, yes. and I think I've heard a lot of discussion about how kind of the culture that he was able to build. I wonder helped if Bernie's a, band. a fish fan. Um, so Bernie and Fish have shared the stage multiple times. Um, they have the Ben and Jerry's connection, so they're oh. both very plugged in with Ben and Jerry's, yes. and very and Ben and Jerry's has been very much supportive of both of their efforts. Um, so um, I don't know if Bernie has a favorite fish song. Um, the drummer of Fish is actually an elected official in the small town in Maine he lives in. He's really? a town selectman. Oh, that, that's um, like the local city. Council, yeah, exactly. In New England selectmen. Well, we have um, what we have. We have a musician, um, Brannon, right? Justin, Justin Brannon, Brannon um, is in death metal bands, and, I believe. And Steve Levin was a, was a musician as well. He was in a punk rock band. Do you, do you play any music? No, I wish. I, I like the best thing I do related to music is lip sync to Lady Gaga and Cher. <laughs> you don't want to hear my voice. I mean, I think we do. Let's let's do a duet. No, no, I do this thing at karaoke. He's checking the time to end this no, no, interview. I'm not checking my time. Oh, okay. I'm going to do something right oh, now. Oh, my God. Okay, this is very so, exciting. Yeah, we'll see if it works. Let's see if I get this to... to here we go. I think we can both. We built this city on rock and roll. Built this city... We built this city on rock and roll. Do you know the words? I don't, I mean, I know the chorus. <laughs> My favorite line's coming up. <laughs> I got moves. I feel like you're strip teasing. <laughs> Say you don't know me. Good night, my face. Say you don't know who goes to that kind of place. Knee deep in the hoopla. Here we go. Here's my favorite part. Many runaways eating up the night. Marconi plays the mamba. Listen to the radio. Don't you remember? We built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. Okay, that's enough of my that was, terrible that was voice. That's great. Um, I got my, my dancing. My favorite line in. is Marconi saying yeah. the mamba. I have to go legislate. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to yes. discuss this with thank us. You. Um, and yeah, if anyone listening to this wants to come on um, my first apartment, follow Localize on Instagram or Twitter at Localize NYC. We share pretty cool stuff about New York City. That's great. Thank you all very much. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year. And happy New Year, I guess, next week. There's another one, right? Find the Lunar New Year. Yeah, is coming Lunar up New soon. Year. Yeah, and find a cheap apartment. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Thank you. Bye. And there are